0: Alright, hey Rockbridge, thanks so much for joining us, however you're joining us, whether you're at one of our six locations or if you're engaged with us digitally, online in some capacity. We're, you're in the, we're in the middle of a series that we've used to kick off 2022 called Decide Now, and we've just said, hey, you know what, there's some predictable decisions that God brings before His people as He works in us and He works through us that we're going to face in 2022 at some point, and we're going to decide. Decide Now what we're going to do when God brings us to those crossroads moments, those decision point moments, so we can decide now what we're going to do when we face these moments later. And we've discovered that more often than not, a lot of those decide nows, we're facing them right now. Hey, to help us on our journey and really kick, us, kick our year off, we've got a church-wide Bible reading plan that's taken us through the Gospel of John as all of our sermons during this series, except for part one, are, are going through the Gospel of John. So uh, this week you can get it texted to you or you can just read on your own as we navigate through uh, John 5, 6, 7, and eight. So a chapter a day, four days a week, and then we'll text you a psalm that you can read on that fifth day. All right? So it's time with God. The text number 888 744 0761. Now we're going to be doing something differently uh, this weekend together. We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. We normally only take the Lord's Supper on our first Wednesday service. And so, but we're going to, as, as, a, as, a, as we've been relooking at our worship, We're going to take the Lord's Supper together about once a month on our weekend services. And so when you came in or maybe you can grab something at home that is similar to this, you will receive these communion packets. And so I want to just sort of put this in our mind as we navigate forward today. What does communion really mean? How how do I look at it? Why do we take it, and 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 what purpose does it serve in our faith journey? And so, just kind of keep that in our back of our minds as we navigate forward. Join me, all of our campuses, wherever you're watching. Let's pray together. God, we just invite you to be here. We invite you to work in us. We invite you even now to prepare our hearts to observe your supper to take the Lord's Supper. So God, just find us ready, find us receptive, find us expectant. Nobody's here by accident. Nobody's here by accident. So God, speak to your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So at some point in your journey, and maybe you're facing this right now, at some point in your journey, we're going to have to decide, what do I do if and when God says no? Or, or how am I going to respond when I do not get more from God? And, and this is the challenge of maybe unanswered prayer. This is the challenge of when you think God should do this and God doesn't do this, he does something else. Right? This is the challenge. You know, even in my, in my deal right now, my ministry, I'm in one of those stretches where I've done three funerals in about two weeks. And, and uh, in each of those families, there were There's some of these issues, you know, where, where God says no, or not yet, or not the way you envisioned, or not the way you hoped, or, not the way you prayed for, or, not the way you expected. So, so every, we face this, right? And and we all know this is a this is a time in our faith where actually some amazing God things can happen, and we can grow closer to God. We also know a lot of people abandon the faith, walk away when they're faced with these things, because there's something in all of us, right, that thinks, man, God, you should say yes to this request. You should say yes to what I want, what I think is best. Uh, God, I want more of, and and when we put our hopes in that, and when God doesn't give us more of, we're at a crossroads, we're at a decision point. And and so as we're navigating through in the Gospel of John, we're gonna be in John chapter six, and we're gonna see Jesus kind of intentionally deal with this tension and and show really the decision point that comes when we get a no or a not now, not yet, or the more we want, we don't get it. All right, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn them to John's gospel or turn them on, follow along with me. We're in John chapter 6. The backdrop of this whole story is Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He's just fed 5,000 people very miraculously, and people are very interested in, in Jesus or what kind of man could do that kind of miracle. So here, here's the word. It says, uh, so Jesus had departed with his the disciples. They'd crossed the Sea of Galilee. And so all these people that are seeking Jesus or curious about Jesus, they can't find him. So here, here's where the story picks up. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. They're seeking Jesus. There's curiosity here. And, and there's this notion of effort and, and Jesus is gonna bring up the word work. All right. These folks were working, laboring, striving, expending energy to get to Jesus. So keep that thought in mind. Uh, We continue through the text where it says they found him on the other side of the sea. So they did the work to find him. They found him. And they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus goes straight to the problem, straight to the point. Here's what he says. Truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs. And the sign would be the miracle of the feeding the 5,000. And just like a sign that that you you see on a trip, like, hey, I'm going to Florida, and you you pass the, hey, Florida sign or cross the Florida state line, the sign just points you to where you're trying to get. You don't stop and worship the sign. You don't stop and rent a hotel at the sign and then put your beach stuff at the sign. You keep going on, right, to get into the state of Florida, for example. And so Jesus is saying, hey, look, You're looking for me not because you understand what the sign means. You're looking for me because you ate loaves and were filled. You got what you wanted from a physical standpoint. There was a physical miracle. There was God gave you pleasure in your belly if you want, and that's why you're looking for me. You're you're looking for me sort of like genie in the bottle. You're looking for me to do something for you. To give you a gift, to give you favor, to give you a blessing, to give you the answer to the prayer the way you think the prayer should be answered. You're not really getting what's behind the sign. And that's the tension that he sets up. And so he says this, hey... Don't work for the food that perishes. In other words, you spent all this energy trying to get to me, and, and now you're asking and, and you're seeking me, but you're seeking me for food that's not going to last forever. And, and just think about that for just a minute, right? One, God's a good father, and we can ask our good, good, perfect father for anything, right? And he he knows how to give good gifts to his kids. And, and that's true of God. But think about. How much stuff we ask of God does not last forever. How much stuff we ask for God that may be important for us right now in this moment, but when we look at it, maybe in a five year window, a 10 year window, or an eternal window, it's really not, it's perishable. And so Jesus said, Hey, you're looking for me to give you stuff that runs out, that can be taken, that can be lost. He says, why don't you work for the food that lasts, the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. And so Jesus is changing the conversation, and he's telling them, I'm not going to give you any more food that is only temporary. I'm going to give you a no. I'm going to give you a no more of and we're going to sit in that tension and decide what to do with that. And that's really where Jesus has this group of people. The conversation continues. The people say, "Okay, Jesus, what can we do to perform the works of God? What can we do to get this get in on this or whatever?" And Jesus says, "Look, this is the work of God. This is what you do. You need to believe in the one that he has sent. You need to believe in the one, and he's talking about himself. That God has sent. And, and this brings up a whole theme in the entire book of John. Like we, when we're reading the Bible and when we're reading books at a time, like we're doing church-wide, going through the, the gospel of John, we kind of want, what, what is the big themes that the author that's inspired by the Holy Spirit brings up? And for John, it's believe. I mean, the most popular verse in John, John 3, 16, right? God so loved the world that whoever believes in him. What's interesting is the 98 times the word believe, believing is used in John. John uses the verb, he never uses the noun, which would be the word for faith or the word for belief. He uses the verb, indicating it's believing. It's an acting on our part. And it goes back. Look what Jesus said. Perform the works of God. The work of God, the action you need to do is believing in the one he has sent. Okay, and that's used 98 times in the Gospel of John. So Jesus brings them back to the conversation, and he's, they say, What sign then? Are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? What are you going to give us, show us, do for us that will give us a reason to believe in you? And it's really, again, that, uh, that slot machine, Jesus, genie in the bottle, Jesus, that's, God, I want something from you for myself in order to believe in you. What are you going to perform? And then they say, hey, our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And and I think about so many times a lot of us were like, man, I I heard you did this for this person. I heard somebody over here got healed. I heard somebody over here prayed and got the promotion. I heard somebody over here prayed and like a great parking spot opened up for them at the grocery store. Yeah, you know, we our ancestors got this. What are you going to do for us, Jesus? And and we all know that. I mean, just sort of we slip into that kind of thinking and and we slip into that kind of perception of Jesus. And then Jesus is saying no again. He's saying not that way again. He said, I'm not going to give you what you want or what you prefer. I'm going to teach you what you need to hear. And here's what he says. He says, listen, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Drawing a contrast. Bread that perishes versus true bread. For the bread of God is the one, he's talking about himself, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And this is where we all need to stop. And and especially us, kind of in the church world, so to speak, in the Bible belt, so to speak. And we need to realize. That John, with his 98 times talking about believing and using the Greek verb, not, hey, I got my beliefs, hey, you know, I, I, I think this is my faith. No, 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 it's believing. That Not all believing is believing. Let me say that again. Not all believing is believing. In other words, there's the kind of believing that doesn't save you, that doesn't, Put you into the family, into the kingdom of God. There's a kind of believing that, that we might say is ineffective, that is a, a, not a saving belief. And, and so look at it this way, back, going back in John. It says, many believed in his name after seeing the signs. Man, many people believed in God after they saw the miracle. Many people believed in God after the great doctor's report that nobody was expecting Many people believed in God because the times were good and, and, you know, good times from a good God, you know, all that stuff, right? But Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. I'm using the amplified translation here. And what he's saying is Jesus didn't trust the people. Jesus didn't accept that kind of belief. Why? Because he understood the superficiality and the fickleness of human nature. In other words, Jesus understood if he did not give them what they wanted, the way they wanted it, when they wanted it, they would leave him. They weren't coming to him because they recognized him as the true bread. They were coming to him because he had given them the bread that perished. Tension, right? Because, I mean, all of us, myself, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like the professional Christian, right? All of us have had those debates, those battles with God. God, why didn't you? God, when will you? God, why haven't you? God, here's what I really, really need at this moment in my life. And when God says, no, not yet, or no more, or not now, It tests our belief, does it not? It's designed by God. It's a decision point that God's going to bring us to. And so Jesus has this group here, and he's, he's searching, seeking, trying to build true belief, true believing in these people. So they said, okay, sir, give us this bread always. Give us this kind of bread. And he says, I am the bread of life. I'm the one. I, I, I'm seeking people who believe in me just because of who I am. I am the bread of life. No one who comes, comes to me will ever be hungry. I, I'll satisfy you in a way that prosperity in an earthly sense can never satisfy I'll satisfy you in a way that is much greater than, hey, your business got the deal or your your disease went away. I'll satisfy you in a way greater than you got the promotion, you got the raise, you got the car, you got the girl. I'll satisfy you way better than any of that. So no one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me And yet you do not believe. Not all believing is believing. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son, sees me, and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day to be with me. And so we we start to learn something about what believing is in Jesus' teaching. Believing is seeing Jesus for who he is, not who you want him to be, not who you think he should be, not as a projection of you or your political beliefs or your cultural beliefs or your traditions, but seeing Jesus for who he is. And we we've got to see him that he is God He is one of the Godhead. He's eternal. He's always existed. He's God in the flesh. We see Jesus that he's a king who is establishing a forever kingdom. We see Jesus that he's a savior, that he came to save us from our sins, to solve our three big problems of sin, guilt, and death, and that we see him as a treasure and a prize we see him as a delight we see him <coughs> as beautiful and pleasant and all those things so this is part of believing but notice the group of people saw Jesus but they didn't see him completely for who he was and there's a second component of Jesus of excuse me of believing that John teaches and that is that not only do we see Jesus for who he is we receive Jesus for who he is and he is saving And he is satisfying in a superior way than the ways of the world. That Jesus... The bread of life is better than the bread we can find in this life. That Jesus can save us and we can't save ourselves. And so it, it, this is believing. This is John three sixteen believing. Whoever believes in the Son will not perish but have eternal life. Who believes in Jesus for who he is and who receives Jesus for who he is. Not who you think he should be, not who you want him to be, not your Bible belt Jesus, but Bible Jesus period. So in response to this, what happens? Remember, they all were working to get to Jesus. They wanted more of that pleasure bread, more of that perishable bread. So they start grumbling about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Jesus knows this, so he speaks into this. He says, truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life, says it again. Your ancestors ate man in the wilderness and they died. So, so he, look, he says, Look, God gives good gifts, but those good gifts don't save, don't satisfy. Those good gifts don't do any of those things. And, and it's like I told y'all, I've said this before what's the greatest tragedy in the world? It's not that people get sick and die at an at a, at a age we don't think they should get sick and die. The greatest tragedy in the world is not extreme poverty, even though, you know, we as Christians work against those things, and we pray for healing and all this. The greatest tragedy is someone to die without Jesus because all they've ever known at that point is the perishable bread that doesn't pave the way to eternal life. And so he's, look, he goes, I can keep giving you gifts. Like your, your ancestors, you talk about the man in the wilderness, they all died. There's something better than manna. There's something better than horizontal in this life blessing. And this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. Jesus, who he is. Jesus, seeing him for who he is, receiving him for who he is. He says, I am that living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I'll give him for the life of the world is my flesh. It's like, my body. And he's projecting his death here that I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die instead of you so that you don't have to taste spiritual death, that you can receive spiritual eternal life. And at that, they stopped grumbling. Now they start arguing amongst themselves because they're like, how can this man, this is only a man now. This isn't God. This isn't King. This isn't savior. This isn't treasure. This isn't prize. This is a man now. Just a kind of insignificant man. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And here's the decision point that... And and the longer I walk with God, the longer I pastor and and walk with people through tragedy, through adversity, uh, see people's prayer requests, see things in my own life, I think this decision point is one that is probably alive and well in many of your lives, even as we're speaking this weekend. And here's the decision point. When God gives us a no and a not now, we've got to realize he's already given us the very best yes, and that's himself. That the very best thing God could give you has already been given and is already available, and that is life in Christ. It's in our mission statement, right? To glorify God by connecting people from all walks of life. That's all you and me. And connecting those people from all walks of life to life in Christ, which we would say is the best life. We would say it this way being a Christian is the only way to die, but it's the best way to live. And so there's a decision point. When God says no, when God says not now or no more or not not the way you thought, not the way you prayed, not the way you hoped, not the way you expected, we've got to realize and say, okay, God, but you've already given the best yes, the bread of life, the one sent from heaven, the Savior, the King, the God-man, the treasure, the prize, Jesus. So Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. And that sounds gross, cannibalistic, and some people thought that's what he was talking about. But he's talking about receiving the benefits of his death. Receiving the benefits of his death in our place. He says, if you don't do those things, you do not have life in yourselves. He's also, I think, foreshadowing the symbolic meal that he would institute later. You'll get to it when we read through the Gospel of John, and we're going to observe it here in a few moments, the Lord's Supper. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. The one who puts their faith in the gospel, the death of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true, fruit, true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. So here's the question, right? Here's the question that's challenging. How do we, in a world full of perishable bread, that's very enticing, tempting, and let's face it, sometimes it just tastes good, right? Sometimes it feels good. How do we, in a pleasure-seeking, pleasure-filled world, albeit that pleasure is short-lived and not long-lasting, how do we truly appreciate and cherish and delight in and be satisfied by the best yes, the bread of life, Jesus Christ? To me, that's one of the questions of the ages because you know we've said Jesus is saving and he's satisfying and he's superior to all the other uh, lesser breads or perishable bread. So we've said that, but here's what happens. We all slip, don't we? And we start pursuing uh, things that are less superior or less satisfying than Jesus himself. And, and, and we sort of like settle for less than God's best. And then we get mad at God when he stops giving us the less than his best and says, hey, is Jesus enough for you? I'm going to quit giving thing, you things that you think you need for your happiness, and I'm just going to show you the bread of life, my son, and asked, do you have that kind of faith? Are you believing in Jesus this kind of way? Or do you kind of turn away when God quits giving you what you think you want or think you need? And so as we journey down that road, I want to share with us a few ways to deepen and grow our appreciation. For this bread of life. And and the first way is simply this. It's we need to acknowledge our insufficiency. Let me back up for a second and show you this in scripture. Remember what Jesus says. He goes, you don't have life in yourselves. And it sounds odd, but we have to come to appreciate I don't have life in myself. I'm not even the best decider of what makes me happy because I've done things that made me happy for a season or for a night and then made me miserable in the next season or the next day. And and, and so I, I, I'm insufficient. And with the more I can admit my insufficiency, the greater I can appreciate the sufficiency of Jesus. And that's backwards, right? I mean, if if you ask Dr. Phil or anybody on this planet for that matter to say, man, how do I maximize my happiness? Most people are going to say, you know, you need to, hey, it's in you, you know, feel better about yourself, not admit your insufficiency, but that's the way of the kingdom. So we have to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't have life in myself. And that opens us up what? To receive life from him, to receive life from him. So we acknowledge our insufficiency. We acknowledge we need help. We acknowledge our dependency. And then, and then the story moves on because look what happens. Many of the disciples heard what Jesus had just taught and said. and He said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? And Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he says, hey, does this offend you? Does this bother you? And, you know, and a lot of us, you know, in, in our cancel culture, nobody wants to be offended. And we're, oh, you offended me. And Jesus doesn't shy shy away from that. (coughs) He says, what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Talking about the ascension and the resurrection. He says, the Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh, what we are, who we are, doesn't help at all. Again, insufficiency. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some among you who don't believe. Not all believing is believing. And so what he's teaching... Here is the second step to appreciating, taking delight in, enjoying, believing in Jesus is to give his words what I call weight, weight. And here's what I mean. We give weight to certain things we hear. Isn't it true? You can get on somebody's social media feed and get excited about something or get really mad about something. You can turn on a news channel and hear what some Yahoo did in Atlanta or Washington, D.C. and get really mad because you give that news report weight. Do we give the same weight to the words of Jesus? Because those words are life, right? They're life-giving. They're life-sustaining. And what if we gave those words weight, believed in them, trusted in them, lived by them, were guided by them. They would guide us deeper and deeper to the bread of life. Now, now here's something we need to acknowledge, though. Sometimes God, Jesus, church, the word seems meh, just kind of falls flat, right? Or, or we might say it just seems not enough, like I'm, st- I don't ha- I, I'm still missing something. Here's what we need to understand. When, we, when we're in those moments... The problem is with us, not with God, His Son, or His Word. It'd be like going to the Grand Canyon and looking at this amazing view and be like, meh. If you're with someone that does that, you know the problem's not with the view they're looking at. The problem's with them. Right? If, if I put a crystal burger in front of you and a Ruth Chris steak beside you and you taste both and you're like, oh, the crystal. Whoa, something's wrong with your taste buds, right? It's the same thing. If we're reading the words of Christ, if we're looking at Christ for who He is, as He is, and we're, meh, the problem's with us, not with Jesus, not with the Word. Not with the Word. And when that comes, we have to do the work of believing until breakthrough occurs. We have to ask God to help us see, help us taste, help us experience Him until breakthrough comes. Next thing that happens is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture because I've been in these moments. From that moment on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Not all believing is believing. As soon as it gets hard, as soon as Jesus says, I'm not giving you what you want, I'm not giving what you asked for, no more, not yet, not now, or no, people turn away. They move away. And so Jesus comes to the 12, and this is what I love. He says, you don't want to go away too, do you? And I think asking ourselves or letting the Word of God ask that question of us is actually very, very helpful to deepen our love, our appreciation for Jesus. So you don't want to go away too, do you? And then Simon Peter gives an example of true believing, saving belief, all that. He says this. He goes, listen, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. giving them weight. We're eating them. We're feasting on them. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. In other words, Jesus, we've considered the alternatives. Elsewhere, Jesus would tell the disciples, you count the cost, don't come. What Peter's done is he's counted the cost of not following Jesus, not believing in Jesus. And he's like, where else are we going to go? And I've, I've found in my own journey That if I'm less passionate about God, if I've sort of plateaued or backslidden spiritually and I need a reawakening, sometimes I need to say, hey, where else would I go? And I remember, you know, my own battles with identity and just trying to figure out who I was as a teenager in the Navy, even as a pastor And I remember how God liberated me and and taught me truly who I am in Christ and how freeing it is to live in that space and to live in that identity. And I'm like, where else would I go? I think about all the things God's kept me from in terms of places that sin can lead us and, and how sin can enslave us. And I'm like, where else would I go? I think about the four great questions of life. Who am I? Why am I here? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with the world? And what can be done to fix it? I'm like, where else would I go? And as I ask myself those questions, my love for, my desire for the bread of life goes up and up and up. And so what we want to do as a church is just be reminded. And to focus on who Jesus is. And to see him for who he truly is. And receive him for who he truly is. As revealed through his words, through his death and burial and resurrection. And he has given us the Lord's Supper as an expression of believing. And we want to take the Lord's Supper as that expression And then we want to use the Lord's Supper today, church, to strengthen our believing through reflecting on our own lives, confessing, you know, Jesus, I've been working too hard and too focused on perishable food. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's, you know, likes on social media. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's stressing about retirement. Maybe letting the fear of the pandemic And letting that just consume you and cloud out the bread of life. Just reflecting, and where necessary, repenting, turning from sin, turning from perishable, and turning back to the bread of life. Remembering that Jesus died in our place, that Jesus died instead of us, Jesus died for us, thanking him for that. Proclaiming the gospel back to ourselves. You know, most of us do a pretty good job of talking to ourselves. We can talk ourselves into fear. We can talk ourselves into stress, into anxiety. But proclaiming is literally preaching truth to ourselves, preaching that Jesus died for us, preaching that Jesus is the all-sufficient, superior Savior, King, treasure, and pride, preaching that he is better than, and you just fill in the blank, He's the best. We've already gotten God's best. And then hoping. Because our king is coming back. And when he comes back, he will come back to establish his perfect rule. He's already come to live a perfect life and to die a bloody death so that we can be reconciled to the father, adopted into the father's family, and live as citizens of the kingdom. When he comes back again, that kingdom will be established and he'll wipe every tear and he'll end death as we know it and his glory will be the sun and the light that we walk and that we live by. And so as we take the Lord's Supper, we take it with these truths in mind and with these things going on in our soul. And so what we're going to do, church, is is you have this before you now. And uh, what I would just want this to be a time of worship and a time of prayer. You may need to do more reflecting today than hoping or remembering. That's fine. You may need to do more proclaiming of the gospel, preaching of the gospel, the truth of God's word to yourself. That's fine. You, but we're going to take this together as a church because it's, it's, this is also a family meal, a family supper. All of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we take it together as an expression of what brings us together. And what brings us together is not our skin color. What brings us together is not we've all got our act together. What brings us together is we're all around the throne and the cross of Jesus Christ, professing him as king, as Lord, as savior, as treasure, as prize. And we're believing in him. And so with that, we're reminded of these words, that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And In the same manner, after supper, he took also the cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, Rob Bridge, I'm going to pray, and then our worship teams are going to come up and just lead us in worship. You stay seated. You can stand. You can come down and pray. And here's what I want to ask you to do. When you're ready, when you have prayed or gone through some of this reflecting, remembering, proclaiming, and hoping, you partake of the body and the blood of Christ. If you're not yet a Christian, this is not yet for you because this symbol means something. It's an expression of faith and it's an expression of believing. So if you haven't yet come to that point of believing in Jesus for who he is and receiving him as he is, then you can just pass on this and just keep thinking about what we've talked about, asking God to show you more, asking God to show you more of himself, asking God to give you a hunger for the bread of life. Others of you, maybe today is your day of coming to start believing. And your life begins. Your new life begins today. And so, look, this is your first communion. Praise the Lord. Would you just share with someone that brought you or your campus or venue pastor that you've made that decision to start believing in the Son, believing in the bread of life? and Because the next thing we need to do is talk to you about getting baptized. But with all of our eyes off ourselves, with all of our eyes off of the bread that perishes, let's place our eyes on the bread of life and go to the Lord's table as we pray together, church. God, I thank you so much. Nobody's here by accident. I think we're all here hungry, God, thirsty, God, not for bread that's perishable, that runs out, but for true bread, living bread, the bread of life, and we confess that's you, King Jesus. We confess and believe that's you, Lord Christ. We confess and believe that you are the prize our hearts are wired to seek and to find. We confess, Jesus, you're the treasure worth selling, leaving all other lesser treasures behind to have you as the one true and forever treasure. God, would you do a work in all of us today as we reflect? And in some cases, God, we need to confess our sins and repent. God, would you do a work in us as we remember what you did for us? God, would you do a work in us as we proclaim your words, your truth, your gospel? Because your words, your truth, your gospel, they're life. And God, would you do a work in us as we hope and put our hope in that day when you come back and establish your reign and rule and make everything right. As we partake of your body and your blood, Jesus, we pray these things in your mighty name. Amen.